0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Feldman, and it's time for yet another foray into the world of Aquarium, so from a slightly different perspective. You know, one of the things that's so fun about the hobby is the ability that we all have to tweak and even evolve aquariums intentionally as the years go by. And, you know, it's not a given that you'll have to. Yet, I think that if you pull a random sample of hobbyists, almost every single one would want to make changes or, you know, add to an aquarium, change the aquarium, change the theme, or even add another aquarium. Now, not everybody can have another aquarium, right? Yeah. For many hobbyists, their one aquarium is the only one that they can have, at least for now, but possibly forever. You know, things like space, economics, time, all this stuff comes into play, and there really isn't that much you can do except work with the one that you got. I mean, look, it's a blessing to have even one, but to the serious fish geek, that desire to move on to a greener pasture, or, you know, should we say a browner river or whatever, to just taste some new stuff, it, it almost never goes away. It builds because we're surrounded by inspiration everywhere. You just walk out to the nearest water feature, uh, go to the beach, go to a a pond, go to a river, go to a creek, go on Instagram, inspirations everywhere. And I occasionally go through these moments where I entertain the, the idea of making changes to my tanks. And I can't escape that, you know, Something will go through my head. I'd be like, Scott, it's been, you know, a minute since you've changed up the theme of your tank. Maybe you need to do something a little different, you know, a little voice in my head. You probably can relate to that, I would imagine. Now, it's always a bit weird to me because I've generally had an obsession with not changing my tanks up constantly or very rarely. Of course, there is a bit of a contradiction. When I started in Aquatics in 2015, I realized that in order to sort of spread the gospel about this emerging botanical method thing, I needed to show a lot of tanks. And of course, this means one of three things. Either I needed to set up a lot of new aquariums myself, (laughs) recruit a lot of fellow hobbyists to create and ensure botanical method aquariums, or I could just iterate my existing tanks more frequently. Yet I still needed and still need to project patience because it's a fundamental part of what we do. So it's crazy. I think that's often augmented my by my desire as the you know, 10 in mothership uh, to showcase new ideas in botanicals. Well, maybe that's an excuse to make changes, but we all like to try new stuff, right? So it kind of puts me in a sort of a strange paradox. And I think it's funny because I think that I even, even though I fancy myself as this you know, restless, conceptual guy who's constantly evolving his ideas, the reality is that my makeovers of my existing tanks are seldom that radical. Rather, they're little iterations that represent incremental changes or improvements over previous designs. I tend to stay in my lane and I don't stray all that far from it. I almost envy those of you who can make completely radical changes at the spur of the moment without regret or a whole lot of consideration. Like, how do you do that? That's hard. I often wonder, though, why I play with such a tight set of characteristics. And by that, I mean, you know, certain wood types or certain arrangements, use of certain botanicals as specific textures and colors, stuff like that. Although I'm definitely prone to overanalyzing things at times, Uh, It's fun now and then to step out of my own mind and look at stuff as if I'm a third party of sorts and think things through differently. It's led to some pretty cool tanks over the years. Maybe I have that sort of comfort zone that I tend not to push myself out too far from. I mean, I operate in a pretty radical sector already, right? The botanical method aquarium is not for everybody. This is pretty different from the conventional clear water, highly stylized aquariums that we all know so well. And I realized a long time ago that when I make changes to my tanks, they're always more like little iterations of the existing design. Radical changes aren't my thing, I suppose. Now, I've learned over the years to give stuff time and give it space to evolve a little bit without my intervention. And I know enough to understand a fundamental truth about botanical method aquariums. The way the tank is looking now is not how it's gonna look in a few weeks or even a few months. I play a really long game, one which acknowledges the fact that our botanical method aquariums evolve out over very long periods of time, not reaching maybe the state that we perhaps envision for them for many months. My actions with my aquariums reflect this mindset. Unless there's some major emergency, which I have yet to encounter by the way, about the only thing I might do is add a few more botanicals or more recently, I had an aquarium, I, 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 it was dark, because that's what I'm used to, but because of the characteristics of the room, the room lighting, it's in a light room, but the light doesn't quite get there, I would get a lot of reflection, and the the tank was so dark because of the tinted water, I couldn't see the fish effectively, so... What did I do? I cranked up the LEDs a little bit, something I don't usually do. Now I think my AI prime HD freshwater is running at 37% intensity instead of 16% or whatever. So that's a big change for me. I'm like, oh, I could see the fish. But my my point is just evolving an aquarium a bit is what I do. Making up for stuff that, you know, maybe is is, uh, not what I need to be doing at the time. In other words, I needed something, I needed light because I needed to be able to see it. Maybe I have a lot of botanicals that break down and I want to add stuff. Minor small moves, if any at all. Now, that being said, the biggest hurdle to me in making changes to aquariums has always been the psychological one. This shame that I assigned in my own mind if I simply broke down tanks and recycled them time and time again, you know, the whole Instagram, you know, influencer thing. Now, that being said, I slowly, emphasis on slowly, came around to the idea that this is an effective way to demonstrate new ideas to our, you know, growing community. All the while, and keeping in mind that the system, the aquarium, will change on its own without any intervention on my part, and it'll get where it's going on its own without me having to do anything. So again, it's a strange paradox. Adding a few botanicals or leaves along the way is simply what you do to keep the process going. And it's extremely analogous to what happens in nature as new materials fall into waterways throughout the year while existing materials are carried off by currents or decomposed completely. It's just like in nature, isn't it? We're going to revisit the topic of getting started far more often here, following what we're turning into best practices and tips to get your botanical method aquarium off to a good start as nature evolves it. This is really important stuff and we haven't talked about it enough. I mean, again, my philosophy of sort of live and let live <laughs> makes a lot of sense because botanical method aquariums, in my opinions, in my opinion, don't even really hit their stride for at least, I don't know, three to six months. Yet, of course, in this content-driven, you know, Instagram-fueled postmodern aquarium world, I know that we tend to show the new looks fairly often to give lots of ideas and inspiration to embark on your own journey. And I suppose it's a very cool thing, yet it's sort of a double-edged sword. It might give you the wrong impression. Like so many things in the social media universe, the representation of today's aquarium world likely gives the incorrect impression, impression to the beginner that the that, that tanks are sort of pop-ups set up for a photography session and then broken down quickly. We're regrettably likely contributors to some of this misconception with our frequent iterations nowadays. Because we play a long game though, a really long game, and the tanks that we present to you in our images and videos are typically many months along, maybe we're a, a little different. I don't know. So what am I usually doing with my botanical method tanks? Well, I'm, I'm holding, I'm just going to do the scheduled tweaks that were in my plan, you know, adding some elements as intended to, as the tank breaks in further, maybe take in, put in some plants, take out some things, whatever, but nothing more. No big switches, no radical maneuvers. Why hold? Well, I mean, after your tank's been up for a few weeks, now would be the time if a tank isn't where you want it, right? Yeah. So that's the time. But why do I hold? It's because I have faith in nature. I know that she'll push things along correctly because that's what she does. And I know that to intervene now, to edit her moves at the time when the tank isn't looking its best in my mind, yet it's progressing ecologically and biologically would be a real shame. It would be akin to selling off a stock just before it breaks out or to unload a property just before the market takes off. It'd be a real shame because as sure as day falls night, if you've laid the correct groundwork to be successful, And if your tank is checking off all the proverbial basic boxes, the tank will get to where you want it. Eventually. Really. Sure, as I say all the time, there's no guarantees when working with nature. She can and she will at times kick your ass, even when you did everything right. However, there's something else, something more visceral that you can take comfort in. Patience. and a certain objective realization, that things are going well with your tank and that they just need more time in order to fully attain the vision that you had or even... Exceed that vision. Of course, we can manage the evolution of our tanks, and it's often done by letting them do their thing. The mental stretches, the mental shifts that we talk about incessantly here are still occurring for me many, many years into this game. With each pick I see of natural habitats that I want to emulate, and every beautiful aquarium that I see come to life from our community, it's always inspiring, it's always interesting, and it's always engaging, and it makes me think about different ideas. I'm seeing and experiencing new things coming up with new ideas and trying to understand and embrace the processes and the aesthetics right in front of me in a whole new light. And I'm happy to see many of you doing the same. Stay bold, stay creative, stay cautious, stay curious, stay patient, and always stay wet. Till next time, this is Scott Feldman from Ten and Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of the tent. Hi there, welcome to The tent. I'm your host, Scott Bellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, there's a good expression attributed to the automaker, Henry Ford, and he said, The only real mistake in life is the one from which we learn nothing. And that's a pretty good one. I received a phone call from a friend not too long ago who was devastated. Uh, she's a very experienced aquarist with a lot of years in the game, like 30 years plus, plus. She made a really basic mistake. She failed to quarantine a few new fish from a trusted online vendor, added them right to her 300-gallon discus aquarium, and, you guessed it, almost her entire collection of fishes, many of which are rare and expensive, are showing signs of it. That sucks, right? Now, after we discussed, you know, what, we, what she felt and what I agreed was her best course of action, she seemed to be a little better. However, she called back again later to just share how she was feeling, the usual emotions you'd expect when... Somebody goes through something like this: regret, self-criticism, questioning, and shame. Now, the shame part was interesting to me because it seemed to me as she was being sort of unnecessarily embarrassed and really hard on herself. Of course, being a fellow fish geek and the hobby for a lifetime, I shared my war stories and I reflected on the many, many mistakes that I've made and continue to make over the years. I provided the usual, you know, rah-rah stuff, which essentially became platitudes at some point, I think. And the bottom line is that she felt pretty shitty and just wanted to sort of beat herself up. And I wouldn't let her, despite my supportive admonitions to move on, Uh, you know, I I don't know. Maybe I, I I think I reached her, but she was still not feeling great. Now, not too many days later, uh, I reflected back on something that I did a few years ago that brought up similar feelings on myself. I remember I was asked by this website administrator eager to have 10 in support and they wanted me to send out a little plug for my company, uh, in a you know, this this blog that they had. And I remember sending it out in a real frenzy just before an early morning rush to catch a flight. I didn't proof it. I just sent it out really quickly thinking, you oh, know, you know, they'll edit it. They'll catch it. Well, of course, you know what happened, right? It can send some really stupid typos. Some were flat out screw ups by moi like misspelling the name of my own company and some were also a result of the spell checker not recognizing the botanical names and offering really laughable corrections which was still clearly my fault because hey the human's supposed to check the spell checker right now no readers seemed to notice yet when the errors were pointed out to me by a friend i fell into the exact pattern that my friend who called me did i was disgusted i was embarrassed I was frustrated i was angry at myself and yeah i felt shame Shame that I had let my company down, that I, the mighty wordsmith of Tannin, had let some subpar stuff slip out into cyberspace, perhaps damaging my reputation, which I think is really funny because as anybody who reads the (laughs) the Tint blog knows, there's generally going to be a bunch of errors in it on any given day. I I need to do a better job of editing. I just tend to like get the idea out there and like hope that spell check catches things, which it doesn't. So shame on me. I still haven't learned, right? But look, I tried to rationalize what happened. There was really little to rationalize. It was better to analyze what happened. I rushed and I failed to do the things necessary to avoid errors before sending. The solution was obvious. Just slow down and proofread. Much like the solution my discus-loving friend was being given by yours truly. You know you know what to do. Just quarantine from now on. You got this. It's easy to say, right? I mean, sure. She had a short-term problem of a tank full of expensive sick fishes to contend with. Now, would the mistake devastate her tank? I don't know. What's the immediate solution? Well, we had that. Decisions had to be made and action taken quickly. Would this mistake result in her getting out of the hobby altogether? No, of course not. She's been in too long. And conversely, would my typo-filled, you know, post result in the demise of Tannin Aquatics? Well, no, it, it didn't. If that's all it took, that would be pretty shitty and pretty sad. Besides, if customers thought less of my entire company because of a few isolated typos, I wonder if these apparently flawless, godlike people are the types that I'd really want to do business with anyway. Yeah, we can rationalize away mistakes. We can dwell on them. We can wallow in it. Let them beat us and win. Or we can learn from them, move on and vow to take measures, never to again make the same mistake. I think that's a better approach, don't you? Remember the investigation following the 1986 Space Shuttle Challenger disaster and then later on the 2003 Columbia disaster? NASA realized that both incidents were a result of failure to follow safety protocols that were or should have been in place to prevent these kinds of things from happening in the first place. Administrative pressures to launch and complete the missions overwhelmed the need to slow down and consider the possibilities poised by cold temperatures or debris strikes to the shuttle with, of course, tragic consequences. Now, what did NASA do? Well, after soul-searching, finger-pointing, and a lot of investigation, they instituted and followed protocols to make sure these kind of tragedies wouldn't happen again. Obviously, lives were lost and would never be brought back, and a proud American institution was rattled to the core. And guess what? After 1986, they made that tragic mistake again in 2003 with similar devastating consequences. Did NASA quit? No. Did mankind stop exploring? No. We know the rest of the story— A, by and large, wonderfully successful program had emerged that had broad-reaching positive benefits for mankind, despite the failures caused by human error and misjudgment. Look, an aquarium or a spelling error on a forum post are not on par with disasters that result in the deaths of humans, but the principles and the lessons to be learned are much the same. As fish people, we can choose to beat ourselves up, listen to a few people who tell us that we're stupid, or we can face what happened. We can look at what led up to the incident occurring in the first place, manage the consequences, and put procedures into place to assure that these types of errors never happen again. We can show others that it's possible to make an error and recover. We can share our stories so that fellow hobbyists don't make the same mistake. We can make a setback and net gain for ourselves and for the hobby. We can emerge stronger and better as Aquarists, and for that matter, as human beings. I'm Remember the great inventor Thomas Edison once said, uh, you know, because he failed many, many times to get an electrical, a functional electrical light bulb. He made this famous statement where he said, I haven't failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. Now, talk about an optimist. But look, think of all the great innovations in, you know, society and technology and arts and in fishkeeping for that matter, which arose as a result of failure, a result of error, a result of screwing something up. And rather than dwelling on the negative implications, putting a positive spin on things and moving forward to rise from the ashes of failure, emerging better and stronger than before for the benefit of others, as well as for the individual who perpetuated the error or committed the act of failure in the first place. I submit to you that our aquarium keeping mistakes are sometimes tragic, often expensive, always frustrating, but never wasted if we face them, learn from them, and share the experience with others. In reality no mistake is ever wasted in life it can always serve as an example of what not to do a la edison the history of tannin in its pre-business days was filled with what we'd call disasters as we determined what would work and what wouldn't we tried all sorts of stuff all sorts of different procedures and some with pretty tragic consequences for fishes and some with really amazing results before ever making the stuff that we sell available to you in the context of r&d Failure just goes with the territory. It's part of the responsibility to bring a good product to market. One of my favorite personal icons, Steve Jobs from Apple fame, knew of failure both before and during his tenure at Apple. In fact, he was fired. He was actually fired. Can you imagine firing that dude from Apple? I'm dumped by the company he literally co-founded in a garage. As you can imagine, he was devastated. He was humiliated. Felt like a failure. Did he hang it up? Well, of course not. We know that. As he later famously related in a Stanford commencement speech, uh, he said he didn't see it then, but getting fired from Apple was like the best thing could have ever happened to him. And he felt that like this heavy price of being successful was replaced by this lightness of being a beginner all over again and less sure about everything and a freedom to enter a very creative period in his life. I thought that was pretty cool. As Jobs intimated so well, the takeaway from failure is the opportunity to rebound and to innovate stronger than ever before. You know, flush with that hard-won knowledge that you can only get from learning by, well, screwing up. Taking ownership of our mistakes is sort of a pillar of aquarium-keeping technique and philosophy. Everybody screws up in this hobby. Everyone fails. Everyone does something contrary to what they know to be correct. Everyone However, it's the truly successful aquarist and human being, for that matter, who, rather than dwelling on failure, moves on to learn from it, rises, you know, from the ashes to correct it, shakes off that cloak of failure, only to, you know, put on the freshly pressed garment of success. If you want to be, you know, flamboyant about it, but not everybody can do it. Everybody should. If the aquarium hobby were easy, we wouldn't have forums filled with how-to's, and vendors wouldn't stock medication, test gear, electronic controllers algae scraping tools, all that kind of stuff. You wouldn't need to take the corrective actions when your parameters are head south because they never would. You wouldn't need to tear apart your aquascape to move the fish that you knew would bully everything else in your aquarium, yet you, know, you tried anyways, because you wouldn't have to need to experiment in the first place. I think I'll give my friend a call again, just to check in. I think I'll let her know that what she did, although tragic in the short term, was probably one of the best things she could have done. Yeah, really. I'll let her know that if she learns to never make the same mistake again, and more important, shares her mistake and actions that she took to correct it with others, that this tragic incident was actually one of the greatest experiences of her hobby-keeping and career. If it helps just one other hobbyist avoid that same mistake, then that old cliche about, you know, the hapless fish is not dying in vain really does hold water. And to you, whoever of you that might have actually read that forum post all those years ago, do you know that Cardinal Tetra really is a Cardinal Tetra? Does the fact that I typed G-fagus instead of Geophagus mean that you'll never look at my company with a, you know, again, or you'll have a jaundiced eye and never buy from us? Maybe, maybe not. I'd like to think that it wouldn't drive you away, but hey, that's your call. I have to tell you that, reflecting back on it, I occasionally am still a little bit upset with myself. On the other hand, at the risk of sounding a bit you know, arrogant, I'm actually kind of happy that I screwed up yeah, really. Why? Well, because I don't like the feeling that screwing up left me with, and I don't want to feel that again. And that feeling pushed me to do a little better when I submit articles to other blogs. And of course, on my own, I still need to work on it. It's a work in progress. Oh, and this is funny. That site with the error blog that was published, well, it folded shortly afterwards. Maybe it worked out okay anyway, right? <laughs> Maybe I caused it to fold. Well, probably not, but really ironic though, wouldn't you say? Of course, being human, you know that I'm bound to screw up again at some point in the future, and as are you. But it's okay. I still believe in myself. I'll still learn. I'll still improve. Oh, and just because we acknowledge and own our failures doesn't mean that we can hold ourselves to lower standards in the hobby. It just means that we need to be be a little bit more aware of the possibilities of doing something in a manner that we know might be detrimental. And to you, the one hobbyist who thought that he was going to be the one person who could create a substrate consisting entirely of java fern or you that hobbyist who decided that it's okay to build the open top river tank with 30,000 gallons of flow per hour and a surge system located above that really expensive hardwood floor, I wish you all the success. Or at least I wish you a pleasant journey towards success as you recover from an occasional setback. (laughs) Your bravery, your heart, your optimism, and your tenacity exemplify the best traits of today's aquarium hobbyists and for that matter human beings. So stay with it. Be kind to yourself and patient with others. Stay proud, stay humble, stay hungry, stay calm. And most important of all, stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from and Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me and I look forward to seeing you on the next Aerofeld episode of The Tint.